This is The Rounds Table. All right, welcome back, Rounds Table listeners. We have an exciting episode in store for you today. This one is all related to clinical trials for infectious diseases. John, what's up first? So first up, we're going to talk about the effectiveness of prophylactic oral and or vaginal probiotic supplementation in the prevention of recurrent UTIs. This was by Gupta et al., published in December 2023 in the Clinical Infectious Diseases Journal. Yeah, this was a bit of a sleeper hit, and I'm actually really happy that we're covering it because otherwise I would have missed this article. Um, so what was the research question? So here they wanted to know what is the effectiveness of prophylactic probiotic supplementation in the prevention of recurrent urinary tract infections? Yeah. And why did this catch your eye? You and I both know that UTIs are common and upwards of 40 to 50% of women will experience at least one UTI in their life. Recurrences can occur in 20 to 30%. So a fairly large burden from a population perspective. Uh, As with everything in ID, antibiotics resistance is on the rise, and in particular, that's the case for urinary pathogens. There is some evidence to suggest that vaginal microbiota has an important role on the risk for recurrent urinary tract infections, and there's been research to show that some probiotic usage can restore vaginal flora, reduce colonization of urinary pathogens, and therefore reduce risk for UTI. Uh, Both oral and vaginal probiotics have been shown to reduce incidence of recurrent UTIs, um, but there is some conflicting meta-analysis data. So uh, one meta-analysis showed that there was a benefit, another did not. Uh, This study looks at a commercially available oral and vaginal tablet to assess the effectiveness in preventing UTIs. Yeah, I really like the research question. I think as we're going to find out, this was a much younger patient population than maybe you or I are, are used to caring for. But regardless, Any infectious diseases randomized trial catches my eye, and this one's no exception. So what was the study design? This was a randomized controlled trial, double-blind, placebo-controlled, single-center study uh, done at a teaching hospital done in Changira, India from 2014 to 2016. The patient population, so these were premenopausal women aged 18 to 45 with a history of three or more uncomplicated UTIs diagnosed in the past year. They excluded participants who are on antibiotic treatment, uh, including those who are on antibiotics within two weeks of screening. Uh, they also excluded if you had abnormal liver function, renal function, if you were on steroids, if you had what they call severe comorbid conditions, or if you were immunosuppressed. The intervention. So patients received probiotic oral capsule and vaginal tablets versus a matching placebo, but there were some differences depending on what group you were in. Um, The oral probiotic contained an unbelievable number, 112 billion live lactic acid bacteria, uh, as well as another bacteria, bifidobacteria, and the vaginal tablet contained about 1 billion colony forming units. Uh, They actually had matching oral and vaginal placebo, and this was supplied in identical packaging and had the same ingredients with the exception that the bacterial strains were not part of it. So there were four treatment groups that patients could have been randomized to. Uh, The first group got both oral placebo and vaginal placebo. The second group got oral probiotic and vaginal placebo. The third group, vaginal probiotic and oral placebo. And the fourth group got both oral and vaginal probiotic. And they received treatment for eight consecutive days each month over a four-month period, so for four months. 
Patients were followed for 12 months at regular intervals. Uh, they were also asked to contact the clinic if they did develop UTI-related symptoms in the interim. Uh, the primary outcome here was um, looking at the number of symptomatic UTI recurrences and their incidence across treatment groups at the end of four months and 12 months. There were also some secondary analyses that they did. And now, to define a UTI event, it was defined based on related symptoms, including you know dysuria, frequency, urgency, as well as a positive culture of more than or equal to 10 to the 5 colony forming units with a single pathogen. Gotcha. So essentially double blind randomized trial age of 18 to 45, so you know pediatric and they could be randomized to oral placebo and vaginal placebo, oral probiotic and vaginal placebo, vaginal probiotic and oral placebo or oral and vaginal probiotic. So a 2 by 2 factorial design which is always confusing to read and to understand. But does that sound about right? Yeah, it is. It's getting confusing to say it out loud, but it's, you got it. Four groups explained, as you said. Nice. There you go. All right. And what did the patients look like who were included? Of the 328 eligible participants, 174 were randomized to one of the four groups. Uh, the majority of those who were excluded, it was because of either not providing informed consent, uh, not agreeing to one of the stipulations of the trial, which was to use contraception during the study, uh, or that they had used antibiotics within two weeks prior. Uh, so of those included, the average age was 35 years old. So not actually pediatric, but I know what you mean, Mike. Uh, the average weight was 60 kilos. Uh, and on average, participants had about five UTIs in the prior 12 months. So, you know, fairly heavy burden of recurrent UTI. Okay. And what did they find? The number of symptomatic urinary tract infection recurrences at four months was significantly lower in all three probiotic groups compared with placebo. Uh, in the placebo group, 31 had a symptomatic recurrence, but in the group with the oral placebo vaginal probiotic, that was only 18. And in the group that got both oral and vaginal probiotic, it was only 14 who had a symptomatic recurrence. Uh, the relative risk for symptomatic recurrent UTI at four months was 0.89 in the group that got got the oral probiotic and the vaginal placebo. Now that confidence interval did cross one, uh, but it was statistically significant at 0.59 in the group that got vaginal probiotic and oral placebo and a relative risk of 0.45 in the group that got both oral and vaginal probiotic. Uh, there was also a significant reduction in recurrent UTIs at 12 months. And again, it really favored the vaginal probiotic groups. Uh, they also showed that among those on probiotic, in particular the vaginal probiotic, that the time to first recurrent symptomatic UTI was longer compared with placebo. Uh, the study investigators also mentioned that there was no differences in adverse events between the groups. So, you know, a very cool randomized trial answering uh, an important clinical question. I can think of a few limitations, but you go first. Yeah. I mean, I think you got to give credit where credit is due. Like interesting, clever, randomized controlled trial. I mean, some of the more obvious limitations, I guess, is that there were a relative small number of patients per group. Um, there were a number of patients that were kind of deemed not eligible for a variety of reasons. And so you do wonder if there's some bias that could be introduced from that. It was a single center design. Um, and so could there have been some issues around like external generalizability as well, maybe related to that? Yeah. I think for me, you know, a 50% reduction in the risk of recurrent UTI if you got, you know, oral and vaginal probiotic is really impressive, but a very small sample size. Unfortunately, you can find things just from chance alone. Anyway, what's the take-home point? 
Uh, in this study, they showed that vaginal probiotic alone or in combination with oral probiotic was associated with a significantly lower rate of recurrent UTI. And is this practice changing for you? I don't know if it is yet. I think it's very promising, but it would be nice to see these results replicated in a larger study. I mean, you know, the, I, we spoke about the prior meta-analyses that have been done, but admittedly, those meta-analyses were lots of small studies as well. And so I don't know if there's enough to do it right now, but hey, there's certainly not a large signal for harm. And so I think that's another thing to consider, especially in a patient who is struggling with really significant recurrent burden of UTI. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think um, a little bit on the data for cranberry juice to reduce the risk of recurrent UTI. And there's been a few randomized trials there. I don't see a huge harm in probiotics, but, um, you know, fascinating stuff, no matter what. But probably another larger trial is required. Anyway, so we'll stay on the ID theme. But before we do, a quick note from the sponsor. And yes, our sponsor continues to be SUMED, that Sault Ste. Marie Physician Recruitment and Retention Program. As you know, John, I can talk about the Sioux for hours, okay? Um, just an incredible place to locum and work. I've been there for eight years now, and there's lots of job opportunities for family docs, specialists, surgeons, you name it, as well as electives for trainees. Yep, I think that's all I have to say about the Sioux for today. That's pretty great. It's been eight years, eh? My goodness, we are getting old. I think that's what that also reflects. Yes, yes. It's my longest standing job is Sue, Sue St. Marie. So there you go. Uh, congratulations. Anyway, uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm quite proud of it. So, all right. This randomized trial was the access randomized trial, clarithromycin for early anti-inflammatory responses in community-acquired pneumonia in Greece, a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial published in Lancet Respiratory Medicine in 2024. All right. What was the question here? Does the addition of corythromycin to beta-lactam therapy for community-acquired pneumonia improve outcomes among hospitalized patients? I see a lot of pneumonia. This is very interesting to me, but what did you think was important about this study? Precisely. It's community-acquired pneumonia. We see this day in, day out, and most of the decisions we make are based on pretty lousy data. So for me, it really caught my eye. And there's an ongoing controversy about the need for macro macrolides like chlorithromycin for uh, hospitalized ward patients. I think for critically ill adults, it's a no-brainer. They they should have some atypical coverage like you know azithromycin. Um, but whether or not something like chlorithromycin is going to be helpful for non-critically ill hospitalized patients, that's still up for debate. Yeah, there is a lot of question about it. I mean, I find that on average, I still tend to treat with atypical coverage. I mean, certainly in our centers, azithromycin would really be the macrolide that we would consider using. And I, I almost wish they used that in this study instead, but hey, that's okay. Uh, what was the design here? So this was a randomized controlled trial, double blind in uh, multiple centers in Greece. The patient population, uh, so adults who are hospitalized with community-acquired pneumonia and had a SOFA score of at least 1 and a procalcitonin level of at least 0.25. And when they're trying to define CAP, it's challenging. So you had to have patients with two of cough, sputum, dyspnea, or pleuritic chest pain. They also had to have two aspects of SERS criteria, and they had to have been started on you know, either ceftriaxone 
or beta-lactam or moxifloxacin. So, you know, the doctor clearly thought this was pneumonia. They excluded adults who had COVID, um, adults who had recent uh, steroid use, if they had neutropenia, HIV, or were on drugs metabolized by CYP3A4 or a QT greater than 500. It was kind of interesting. They didn't exclude patients who had Legionella, but they looked for Legionella in everyone who was randomized, and I'll get to that uh, result eventually. So the intervention was clarithromycin, 500 milligrams oral twice a day, and the comparator was placebo. And the composite outcome was this really messy outcome assessed at day four. I don't even know if I want to read it out loud, but I probably should, okay? So the composite included a decrease in RESP symptom severity score of at least 50% or more, a decrease in SOFA score of at least 30%, um, you know, defined as an 80% decrease from baseline or a drop in procalcitonin or both. Uh, so those were the components of this uh, primary outcome. Procalcitonin, as a quick segue, I have never measured a procalcitonin in my clinical career. Do you check this? No, I think you would make friends with an infectious diseases doctor to say that at a bar, if infectious diseases doctors go to bars. Um, so no, I never have. Um, I've certainly ordered lots of CRP, but procalcitonin is much bigger in Europe. So I learned in Denmark, for example, it's quite standard to order that if you have a patient who you think might have a community-acquired pneumonia. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so what did the table one look like? So they approached just under 1,000 patients and 278 were randomized. The average age was 82, 37% were women, 100% were white, 30% had diabetes. And then in terms of the severity of the pneumonia, the average CRP was 130, which is pretty respectable. The average SOFA score was 3. I'll be honest, I never uh, calculate SOFA scores. And they also provided a breakdown of the um, sputum if it was abnormal. So like half was abnormal, half was not. The most common bug was staph, which I thought was a little bit weird at 24%. Closer to 10% had strep pneumo, 2% had Legionella. And then in terms of the treatment that the doctors had chosen for these individuals before randomization, 40% got ceftriaxone and 60% got amoxiclav. Okay, so what did they find? So that primary outcome, uh, which again was this composite marker of like improvement of your pneumonia, occurred in 68% of those who got clarithromycin and 38% of those who got placebo. So that's like a 30% absolute difference, um, an absolute improvement in particular, and a threefold higher odds of benefits. In terms of adverse events, um, serious adverse events were similar in the two groups, and if anything, uh, a slightly lower risk of adverse events if you got clarithromycin. Okay, that's good to know. And as I was quickly looking through the adverse events, it did not look like there was a signal for C. diff. Is that, is that right? <laughs> Yes, I didn't see any clear signal. But having said that, in a randomized trial of 278 people, even if all 278 got like clindamycin, um, the odds are 0% will get it, especially when you're looking over a short time horizon. Okay, cool. Uh, so what were some of the limitations here? You know, the monster elephant in the room uh, are two. First, very small study. I have to respect these authors they did a placebo-controlled trial in hospital. Big kudos for that. 
but such a messy, messy primary outcome. Those are the two big limitations that I could appreciate. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's your take on point? Clarithromycin might improve time to recovery for hospitalized patients on the ward with community-acquired pneumonia. All right. Is this practice changing for you? Absolutely not. Uh, I think I would want to see at least another study. The only time I've given clarithromycin was never. And the one time I saw it being given, it was a patient who uh, was admitted into hospital with an intracranial hemorrhage and hemoptysis because his clarithromycin interacted with his rivaroxaban, which led to markedly increased levels and total badness. So that case report continues to haunt me. Oh, geez, that's unfortunate. Yes, it sure was. Now let's flip from unfortunate to good stuff. John, what good stuff has caught your eye? Uh, My good stuff is pretty selfish. Uh, Calgary and Alberta in general has been through a wicked cold snap and it's finally over. Uh, The coldest in Calgary that I got to was I think minus 38. And like you are just your bones are cold. And then this week when it was only like minus 20, it actually felt tropical. So uh, my good stuff is that it's no longer minus 38. Oh man, that's great. And I'm trying to Google minus 38. Like what is that in Fahrenheit? In Fahrenheit for our American listeners. It turns out like 40% of our listeners are um, in the US but I can't do the conversion. Negative 40 degrees Celsius to Fahrenheit. No, I don't know. I'm sorry, American (laughs) listeners. Anyway, my good stuff has to do with a terrific brewery called Leftfield Brewery. Uh, It's in East York, not far where I live. They have some great beers. No, they are not a sponsor, but that would be a great sponsor now that I think about it. (laughs) Just ask them, see if they're into evidence-based medicine. Yeah. And like, you don't have to pay us a free two, four a month and you have your spot on our show. Anyway, I hope the people at Sault Ste. Marie don't hear that. Uh, That's it for this week, John. Take care and stay warm in Calgary. Talk to you later, Mike. The Rounds Table is hosted online at healthydebate.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Rounds Table. Thanks to our audio editors, Emilio Garcia Flores and Arjun Sharma. Also thanks to Amol Verma, founder of The Rounds Table, and Kieran Quinn, the previous director. We'd also like to give a big thanks to Seema Marwaha, editor-in-chief at Healthy Debate, for all the support.